Dave and Dujanovic have inside sources. You know, it's, we have just been watching this war in uh, Ukraine unfold, and, and it just feels like it's been 10 years. 10 years that the Ukrainian people have been dealing with just horrific situations. And I look at this information our producer handed us, and he's like, she's like, it's like tomorrow marks one year. Mm-hmm. I remember uh, early on when, when this first started, uh, we talked to David Levitt, who was the Utah County attorney. He lived in yeah. Ukraine mm-hmm. for a number of years, um, served, helped them kind of start up and, and uh, organize some of the, um, you know, the laws, lawyers, judges, stuff like that. He, he, he was very uh, important that way. But he lived there for so long, and he was absolutely convinced when the Russians invaded, and you saw this march early on, it looked like they were just going to walk through Ukraine. And then all of a sudden, it just stopped. There was a 40-mile column of, of armored personnel vehicles that just stopped. And the Ukrainian people just fought tenaciously yeah. for their land. And Boyd, let's bring you into the conversation. You know, let's admit it. We said the same thing on this show. I remember we were thinking it would be by the weekend yeah. Kiev would fall. And yeah. here we are. They are still fighting. Yeah, and and you go back to that very first weekend, and and everyone was you know sending well wishes and prayers. And President Biden said, "Hey, we'll give you a ride out of town uh, on a plane." And President Zelensky said, "I don't need a ride out. I need guns and weapons because yep. we will stand." And the Ukrainian people have shown that over and over and over again. That uh, even given things late uh, or minimum. Uh, in terms of what was being sent to them to use in the in the fight, uh, they have shown they can make a whole lot out of nothing. Uh, and it just shows you the, the power of freedom. I think two of the things that we underestimate in Ukraine, not a perfect country to be sure, nor was the government uh, great going in. They had a lot of corruption and things that they were trying to correct, but they had – Two really strong things going in the country, and one was that religious freedom had really sunk in. It's a very religious uh, country, and uh, one of the largest synagogues outside of the Middle East is in Ukraine, of Mm. all places. So interesting there. And then the other thing that's so fascinating to me is that they had all started to experience this upward mobility, small businesses, entrepreneurs, uh, people who were had this. Yeah, it's all of the things. and. the force of that within the Ukrainian people uh, has continued to carry the day. And I still say the thing that Vladimir Putin fears the most is entrepreneurship and religious freedom. Because the people in Russia hear that. They've seen that from their from their relatives and their friends who have been living in Ukraine. And I still think more than sanctions, more than anything else, that's what Vladimir Putin fears the most. I remember uh, looking back on it. It's almost understandable why we thought Ukraine would fall so quickly because we had just gotten out of Afghanistan and the the Afghan army put up zero fight when the Taliban just walked through. And I, I think maybe there was some recency bias. We thought, well, maybe that's what's going to happen yeah. here in Ukraine. To see the tenacity of which the, the Ukrainian people have, have stepped up and fought for their freedom, fought yeah. for their rights – what does this do for the future of Ukraine? And, and I guess my question is, some of the corruption, some of the difficulties they had beforehand, does this 
helps solidify uh, their understanding of, of what kind of country they can be. Uh, no question about it. And uh, to President Zelensky's credit, even in the middle of a war, he has been cleaning house. Uh, it doesn't get a lot of news coverage, but every so often you'll see a little blurb that, you know, this uh-huh. department, they cleaned house and uh-huh. moved these people out. Uh, that's unbelievable. You think of all the things that he's worried about in a given day uh, dealing with, uh, you know, executing the war. And now he's saying, you know what, that department over there, that's really corrupt. we got to fix that. Uh, and so to do that in the midst of that I think is so important. And that may be the most important message to the Ukrainian people. Uh, I've kind of likened it to Abraham Lincoln continuing the work on the Capitol Dome during the Civil War. Because what President Lincoln was saying was, we're going to be here for the long haul. Yes, we're in the middle of a war. We don't even know if we're going to be able to keep this thing together. And we're working on the Capitol Dome today uh, to do that. And I think President Zelensky has taken a similar tack to say, we're going to clean house. We're going to make sure government is strong and transparent and clear and effective because this is where we want the Ukrainian people to be long after Vladimir Putin and his troops are gone. I have to say, I mean, here's a man I would imagine that most Americans couldn't even pick out of a crowd prior to this invasion. And now I wonder if he's not one of the most recognizable faces among people who are at least paying attention to this. And he shows up in, you know, army greens everywhere he goes in his fatigues. And I'm I'm enamored and amazed by his tenacity. And, And I wonder if he wouldn't make a great leader even in this nation. Yeah. Oh, there's so many things that he's doing. His his communication strategies have just been unbelievable. Uh, the Biden administration could take some some lessons. Yeah. Uh, a lot of politicians could take there, some lessons. Right? Yeah. I mean, he communicates regularly. Yeah. And he uses social media effectively. Yeah. Uh, he hasn't and, shied away from the cameras, and he hasn't been shy to ask for the things that he feels his military and his people need. Yeah. There is an authenticity and a and a courageous vulnerability uh, when he says. Yeah, we're we're fighting for everybody's freedom, and yeah, some tanks would be helpful, or we really got to have this if you expect us to to hold out and win. Uh, I think he is one of those extraordinary people in history. Uh, many have compared him to a to a Winston Churchill, uh, and hmm. you think of Churchill and uh, Churchill's quote that to every person there comes that moment when they're figuratively tapped on the shoulder and given the opportunity to do something special. Uh, and then Churchill, of course, cautioned, you know, what a tragedy if that moment finds them unwilling or unprepared for what could have been their finest hour. Uh, clear to me that President Zelensky was ready for that finest hour, and he's produced a year full uh, of finest hours by communicating with clarity, with passion, with transparency, and with an authenticity that we haven't seen in world leaders in a very long time. And also a lot of patience. I, I would imagine that President Zelensky has got to be so frustrated because you've seen this slow rollout of military support yeah. from the world. Yeah. And he's had to just sit there, be grateful, knowing full well that it's insufficient, that he needs more guns, more heavy artillery, and he's just had to wait for the the rest of the world to catch up with his needs. Yeah, and that, that frustration has to be so immense. He knows what he needs, and he knows what the world needs. Uh, and to see some for political purposes, some for positioning purposes, some not wanting to offend a, an enemy or an ally that are just dragging their feet or going really slow. Uh, I'm sure he probably has a room, one of the great civil rights leaders had a room where she would go in and she had Coke bottles 
and she would just throw them against the wall. <laughs> and I am sure President Zelensky has got to have a room somewhere Absolutely. there in Kiev where he can go in and just uh, vent a little bit that often other world leaders uh, aren't acting like world leaders. They're, they're in that slow roll category. What do you make of the pushback? I know we're short on time, but the pushback largely from GOP lawmakers of continuing to fund this war or trying to figure out at what point is there a price point that we that we have to prepare for? Yeah, I, I think the conversation is a legitimate in terms of let's make sure there's no waste, fraud or abuse. Let's make sure we have very clear objectives and directives. Uh, and that's a good conversation. That's not being anti-Ukraine. That's not being pro-Kremlin. Uh, just have an authentic conversation, some clarity and transparency. Uh, and the American people will buy into that. And the people of the world will buy into that. And, and we should just note that the United States is not the only one who's footing the bill. And it even is beyond guns and tanks and weapons. The people of Europe are paying immense prices to heat their homes. Some are only being able to use electricity parts of the day with with, uh, brownouts and blackouts. And so we've got it fairly easy here in the U.S. And we should keep that in mind when we look at the total cost that everyone is investing in the freedom of Ukraine. And welcoming refugees. Yeah. Absolutely. Boyd Matheson, thank you for joining us. Uh, Inside Sources from 1 to 3. Straight ahead, uh, Lindsay Erich joining the show on the goings-on on on Capitol Hill as we tick down to the end of the legislative session. Uh, We're going to dive into what I think is the longest ping-pong match I've ever seen play out on Capitol Hill over several decades, and that is the food tax ping-pong match. Do lawmakers have it in them this year to finally get rid of the tax on food. Next.